If you take your Bibles to the book of John chapter 11, I'm just going to read a few verses. There's actually 41 verses to this story, and there's no way I'm going to read all verses to the story. I think that you've heard the story. I think most of us tonight are mature Christians, and so you've been in church a long time, so you know the story. So I feel like it's unnecessary for me to read all the story to you because you should know the story. Amen. So John chapter 11, beginning with verse number 1, I want you to listen to the words of St. John as he records the story of Lazarus. John chapter 11 and verse number 1. Verse number 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus, of Bethany, the town of Mary and the sister Martha, And it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he who you love is sick. It's interesting to me. The scripture says that, you know, Jesus is very close to this family. And uh, he's very close to Martha and Mary, and Lazarus is probably one of his best friends, and they're concerned because he's very close to this family, and so they're giving the word to him that your friend is very sick. Uh, Verse number four, and when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for, for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Then the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you're going there again. Jesus answered and said, are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But he who walks in the night stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I must go and wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of this of death. But they thought that he was speaking of sleeping and resting. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I will go for your sake, that I was not there, that that they may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said unto the fellow disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. And so, Lord, we ask the blessing the preaching of the Word. We know Your Word is already anointed. It is the preacher tonight that needs to be anointed. So help me, O God, to preach with power, fervency, and unction. Let let it pierce the hearts of those that hear it. And everything that's said and done, let it bring You the glory. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. I don't have a particular title to this sermon. We're just going to look at John chapter 11. We're going to look at the story of Lazarus, and uh, we're going to pull some principles out of this story so that you can take it home and you can relate it to your life. I am a firm believer that everything that you read in the Scriptures is applicable to your life. 
you just don't read the Scriptures to read them, but that you read the Scriptures because everything that was written is for our understanding. Everything that was written is for our learning. And sometimes when we read the Scriptures, uh, we don't think that. But everything that was written in the Scriptures is for our learning. This is an extra Scripture I want you to see. And I've said, I've read this Scripture many times, probably in the last six months, but I think it's important that you see it with what I'm saying tonight. If they could put it behind me, I would appreciate it. Romans chapter 15 and verse number 4. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. I want you to see what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He said, For whatever things was written before were written for our learning, that through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures we might have hope. In other words, everything that was written in the Scriptures were written for our example. Everything. Every story was written for our example. Everything we read was written for our learning. So when you come to the Scriptures, the ancient Scriptures that I have in front of you, this Bible was handed to us by the apostles, by the prophets. It is thousands of years old, and it's been translated into many languages. The Bible that I hold in my hand was written for our understanding, and it was written for our example. So everything we read is applicable to us. And I believe through the Holy Spirit, He can bring to light some principles that's found in each story so that it can bring comfort to you and reassurance in your life. So when we read the Scriptures, let us come to the Bible with not only our logic, not only with our reason, but let us go to the Bible with our heart. Because the Scripture is spiritually discerned, not just discerned by your mind. Sometimes as Pentecostals, we want to check our minds out at the front door and just get in the Spirit and worship Him with our heart. But in pursuing God, you've got to pursue Him with your head and your heart. Some churches is all about knowing, and some churches is all about feeling. Some churches come to church to know about God, but there's no feeling there. There's no, there's no emotion involved. Some churches is all about the emotion, and there's no head knowledge. But I believe that if you're going to grow in God, you have to have a component of both. You've got to know God, you've got to use your mind, you've got to use your reason, got to use your logic, but yet, at the same time, Christianity is experiential. That means you can experience it. Not only can you read it, but you can experience it with your heart. So we engage both, your heart and your head. And that's what the type of church I want to develop. I want us to know the power of God. I want us to experience the power of God. I want you to be changed. But at the same time, I, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to know the Word of God. I want you to know the reason why you're shouting about what you're shouting about. Can I hear an amen? And so both of them, you've got to have both of them. So everything we read is for our learning. Everything we read is for our understanding. And when you look at the, when you look at the story, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, it is only recorded in the book of John. It's only recorded in the book of John. And the reason this story was recorded and you've got to understand something. The reason that any of the stories was recorded was not only for our understanding, but it also proved to us who Jesus is. So when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, when he brought sight to the blind, when he, when he brought healing to the lame man, when he brought healing to the man that was crippled, all of those miracles testify to us about who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God, and Jesus is the Son of Man. 
He is 100% man. He's 100% God. As man, he can sleep in the boat. But as God, he can command the winds and the waves to be stilled. As man, he can weep at the tomb of Lazarus. But as God, he can raise Lazarus from the dead. He is not 50% man and 50% God. He is 100% man and 100% God. He is man enough to understand your weakness, but he's God enough to deliver you from your trials and your tribulation. He is the God-man, the hypostatic union when the divine and humanity meets together. He is God. He is man. And the book of John testifies that not only is he man, he is God at the same time. He's man because he weeps at the tomb of Lazarus. Why does he weep? Because he loved Lazarus. Lazarus was his friend. He weeped because he had a relationship with him. He loved him. That shows his humanity. But yet he's God because he commanded that dead body that was in the grave four days to get up and walk again. He is God and man. And that's the wonderful thing about Christianity. We don't serve a God who is distant from us who, do not, who, who do, do, don't understand us, but we serve a God who is personal with us that understands our pain because God revealed Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And when you look at this story tonight, what are some things that we can learn from this story? Number one, I want you to see a few things. Number one, God will raise up Lazarus, but He will not roll away the stone from the sepulcher. He raised Lazarus from the dead. The scripture is clear that when it got there, the Bible says he raised him from the dead. Look at it. John chapter 11, verse 43. John chapter 11, verse 43. Now when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Verse 44. And he who had been dead came, bound, came out bound head and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said, loose him and let him go. So number one, one of the things I want you to see about this story, God can raise up a Lazarus, but he will not roll away the stone from the sepulcher. Now what does that mean? This is how it's applicable to your life. Yes, God can do miracles. He can do anything. He can raise up a dead body that's been in the grave for four days, but there is a responsibility for you to play in the miracles of God. There is a responsibility for you to play in your relationship with God. There is a responsibility for you to play in the story of God. He can do anything. He can raise Lazarus from the dead, but there's a part for you to play. You remember what the Apostle Paul said? He said, we are co-labors together with God. In other words, there's a part for you to play. There is something that you must do. God played a part in his story. God became a man to fix the problem. God just didn't speak a word and fix it. He became a part of the solution. And as you serve the Lord, God is looking for you to be a part of the solution. You've got to play a part. Yes, God will move in your life. Yes, God will do wonderful things in your life. But sometimes we fail to understand that there is a responsibility for you to play. We want God to write us a prescription and fix all of our problems. But at the same time, there's a responsibility for you to play. God just don't write a prescription to fix your problem. He will say to the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. There's a responsibility. 
I want you to do something. Stretch out your hand. And when he stretched out his hand, he was healed. The woman with the issue of blood, she had a responsibility. What was her responsibility? She pressed through the crowd and said to herself, if I could touch the hem of his garment, I know I will be made well. She did something. And you know what she did? She pressed. Even though she was sick, she pressed. Even though she was discouraged, she pressed. She had a part to play. And when she did what she could do, God did what he could do and brought healing to the woman. Sometimes we want God to do it all, but in this story we are reminded that you've got to play a part. There is something that you've got to do. You've got to roll away the stone from the sepulcher. You've got to do it. You want God to bless you? Then there's a part for you to play. You want to be out of debt? There's a part you've got to play. Can I hear an Amen. You've got to write out your debt. You've got to be in all about, you know, you, you've got a part to play in this. You know, God will raise up Lazarus, but you've got to roll away the stone. You see, he never rolled away the stone. What did he say? He said to the men, loose him and let him go. Loose him and let him go. And then the Bible says they loosed him and they let him go. They rolled away the sepulcher. They rolled away the sepulcher. The Bible says, verse number 38, John 11:38. then Jesus again groaning in himself came to the tomb. He came to the cave. A stone was laid against it. Verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. He didn't take away the stone. Jesus didn't go and speak a word and take away the stone. They did it. And he raised them from the dead. In other words, listen, God, Jesus in the flesh, God in human flesh, worked with people so that his miracle is manifested. And my point tonight is, God wants to work with you so that his glory is demonstrated. But he's looking for a willing heart. Is there anybody that can wave your hand and say, I want to work with God. I want to work with God. You've got to work with God. Number two, this is interesting. We waste all of our time in prayer meetings trying to persuade God to assume our responsibilities. You know, I, I grew up in this thing. I grew up in Pentecostalism, and so I've been in a lot of prayer meetings, and I, 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 there's lots of people that want to pray away their responsibility. They want to pray away their responsibility. But listen, if you're going to walk with God, you cannot pray away your responsibility. There is something that you've got to pray. No matter how much you pray, no matter how much you long for God, God is not going to do what He's asking you to do. Did you hear what this preacher said? God is not going to do what He's asking you to do. There's a part for you to play. We waste a lot of time in our prayer meetings asking God to bless somebody, and God is saying, do you have the means to bless them? Don't pray for your neighbor to be blessed if you've got it in your resources to be blessed. Don't pray that somebody goes works in the kids' ministry. If you're physically able, you go work in the kids' ministry. Do not pray about things that you have the power to do in yourself. Quit praying about things you've got power to do. And that's why we don't see the answers to our prayers because we're not working together with God. You have the ability to do something. You have the ability to do something. We waste a lot of time in our prayer meeting praying 
and to persuade God of our responsibilities, to assume our responsibility. Number three, sometimes I think that we're praying when we should be proceeding. It's good that we pray, but at the same time we should be proceeding. You need to pray as you go. You need to pray as you go forward. If you're not intentionally going forward, you are unintentionally going back. I'm going to say that again. If you're not intentionally going forward, you're unintentionally going back. I say that often because it's true. Christians don't blow out. Christians leak out. You don't wake up one morning and say, I don't love God and, and I'm going to give up this thing. Nobody does that. It's just a little compromise here. Compromise, compromise leads to captivity. And when you begin to compromise a little bit, it's going to cause you to go back. If you're not intentionally going forward, you're unintentionally going back. You see, let's pray as we go. Let's pray as we give. Let's pray as we build. Let's pray as we encourage. Let's pray as we go. Number four, prayer will accomplish great things, but prayer will not do everything. Prayer will not do everything. Prayer is not going to feed a child that is hungry tonight. Prayer does not feed them. Prayer does not feed a child that has no or does not clothe a child that has no clothes. Prayer does not do that, folks. Jesus said, if you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. Jesus said that when you stand before me, I'm going to ask you if you clothed them and if you did it in my name, if you fed them, if you did it in my name, let's quit praying about things we have the ability to do. You feed them. You clothe them. You speak the words of encouragement. You pray for your brothers and your sisters. If you see somebody hurting, you be the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the body of Christ. You be the hands. You be the feet. You have a mouth. It doesn't cost you anything to be nice. It doesn't cost you anything to encourage somebody. The only thing it costs you is your pride. Be the hands and the feet of Jesus. We assume a lot. We pray that God would somehow take our responsibility. There's a few other things I want you to see. Look at John chapter 11. Those are the four main points. I've got some extra bonus points. Everybody shout bonus points. Are you ready for the bonus points? Get this. John chapter 11. I want you to see this scripture. John chapter 11 verse number 20. John chapter 11 verse number 20. I want you to see this scripture. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now remember what I said this morning? There's a Mary and there's a Martha, right? Mary in Scripture sat at his feet while Martha was busy serving. Now everybody look at me. This is so important. Mary sat at Jesus' feet in worship while Martha served. And the problem in the church is we need both. We need people who serve and we need people who worship, all right? We need them both. The problem is, is if you serve all the time and you never worship, you exalt your service as an idol. Your worship has to outweigh your service. Because if your worship don't outweigh your service, your heart becomes corrupted in your service. You need a Martha activity but a merry heart. Both of them go together. 
And that is why I said this morning, people can serve in the nursery and kids' church and go to hell. Because all they're doing is serving, and they don't have time to be at His feet. They don't have time to be in worship. They have to, we, we got to do both. we got to serve, and we got to worship. Because our service comes out of a heart of worship. That keeps our service directed to God. And if you are serving and not worshiping, then your service becomes an idol, and it becomes as a gift to edify you and not edify the church. You hear me? That's why you've got to, your worship has to equal or outweigh your service in Scripture. John chapter 11, verse 20, Martha, as soon as she heard this, she was sitting, listen, one of them, Martha, went out to Jesus and Mary sat at the house. There's two types of people in the church. There are those who have fervent belief and there are those who have active faith. Martha had active faith. In other words, she heard that Jesus is coming, so guess what she did? She went out to meet Him while Mary sat in the house. You see the difference? One had fervent faith, one had active belief. Martha had active belief, active faith. She went to Jesus while Mary had fervent belief. I said that wrong earlier. So Mary had fervent belief while Martha had active faith. We've got to have both people in the church. We've got to have people who have fervent belief, who will sit in the church and believe God and pray, but we also got to have people that go out to meet Jesus. We've got to have people who are active in their faith. There is two types of people, fervent belief and active faith. And I believe we need both of those ingredients in our life. We've got to be fervent in spirit, and we've got to be active in our faith. You know what James said? James said, that your faith should be active. Faith without works is dead. Your true faith is living. True faith is active. True faith does something. It does you no good to say you're saved and you're a Christian when there's no fruit being evident in your life. Jesus said, your faithfulness doesn't please me. Your fruitfulness pleases me. And for years we have focused on people being faithful. Be faithful, be faithful. And I said this morning, the other coin to this thing, the other side to this thing is, is you've got to be fruitful. You've got to be faithful and fruitful because what glorifies God is our fruit, not our faithfulness. Jesus said, they will know you by your love. What's love? Love is the fruit of the Spirit. They will see your fruit and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Matthew chapter 3, Jesus says, So let your light so shine before men that they may see, see, see a fruit, good works, and glorify your Father in heaven. So if you're a believer, it has to be evident if the root is holy, the fruit will show. You've got to have some fruit. Got to be show. And Jesus said in John chapter 15, if there is no fruit in your life, he will ax you down. He will take you down. He will cut you down. You got to bear fruit. There's got to be evidence of some active faith. So in this story, you see Martha, you see Mary, you see one having fervent belief and one having active faith. And I believe those two ingredients are important as we progress with God. Another bonus thing I want to add to this is that, you know, the story of Lazarus teaches us because he stayed two days extra. You know? Hey, 
Lazarus is sick and dying. And what does Jesus do? He stays a couple days late. And how many knows that would frustrate you? But you know what this story teaches us? It teaches us one thing. We must be patient in our waiting. Very simple. We must be patient in our waiting. God doesn't work at McDonald's. God doesn't have a Rolex. God doesn't go by your time. God is sovereign. He has time all by himself. He lives outside of time and space. He controls it. And so this story teaches us we must be patient. Number three, a bonus thing I want to tell you. This story teaches us that you should believe in the resurrection now and not just later. We believe that God's going to raise the dead one day. We believe in the great resurrection. But Jesus said to those women, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Present tense. Jesus is saying, listen, I can resurrect things that are dead now. I know that you're waiting for the great day of the Lord, but I am present now in your life to resurrect some things. How many could testify with Pastor Josh, you believe that God can resurrect anything in your life? And I believe that those things that we think are dead are not dead. Jesus said, I'm going to wake them up. The things that we think are dead in our life are not dead. They are just sleeping. I, I, I just want to shout right there. Some, let me just prophesy to you. Some of you think there are some dead things in your life. Maybe the marriage is dead. Your dream is dead. The relationship is dead. Your finances are dead. Well, I prophesy to you, it's not dead. It's just sleeping. And there's going to come a time that God's going to come and wake it up. You're going to have a resurrection. Hallelujah. We're going to have a resurrection. So this story teaches us that the resurrection power of God is just not for the future. It is for today, right now. He can resurrect some things. He can resurrect some things. It's interesting to me that the chapter before, look at this. John chapter 10, look at this. John chapter 10, verse 16. I want you to see the parallel between chapter 10 and chapter 11. Look at it. John chapter 10 and verse number 16. Jesus has given this discourse about sheep. Is that right? Look at it. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Now let me just insert this. The Mormon church thinks Jesus went to America, you know, and they use this scripture to say, you know, but anyway. And other sheep I have which are not in this fold. Who's he talking about? The Gentiles. He's speaking to the Jewish people. He's saying to the Gentiles, there's other sheep that you don't know of, but I'm going to bring them in. He says, I'm going to bring them. And they are going to what? Hear. Say it with me. They're going to what? Hear. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Well, guess what happens in chapter 11? Who hears his voice? Lazarus hears his voice. And when Lazarus heard his voice, he was dead, but he got up and began to walk again. And you see it parallels. Lazarus is a part of the sheepfold, and somebody who is in Christ will hear his voice and respond to his voice. So here, Lazarus is complimenting chapter number 10 because Jesus said, my sheep, will hear my voice, and they will listen. And you know in chapter 11, one of his sheep was Lazarus. He heard his voice out of the cave and responded. Listen, 
What's the point? No matter where you find yourself at, no matter what tomb you find yourself in, no matter what cave you find yourself in, if you belong to Him, when He calls, you will hear His voice. Can I hear an amen? You will hear His voice because you belong to Him. You belong to Him. In closing, isn't it interesting? This is, I've never saw this before. So as I was reading this narrative, I never saw the implication of, of, of the last part of this narrative that I think is powerful. Okay? So if you've never heard anything I said about the story, I want you to get this because I think it's powerful. I want you to see in John chapter number uh, 11, I want you to see the first verse here. John 11, I want you to look at verse number 20. I want you to see the difference between the sisters, Mary and Martha. I want you to look at the first verse in verse number 20, and I want you to see what it says. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, now listen to what Martha is saying. It's very important. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, see what Martha is confessing here. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, shall live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she ends this uh, discourse by saying, verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. So I want you to see the difference in the confession of the sisters. The first sister, who is Martha, had depth in her confession, but little emotion. She had depth in her confession, but she showed little emotion. Is that right? Do you see the depth in her confession? She said, yes, I believe. Yes, you're the Son of God. Yes, you are the one that's come into the world. That's depth. Jesus had not even died yet. And she's agreeing that you are the Christ. You're the Son of God. I believe. So she's confessing substance. There's depth to her confession. But she showed little emotion. Now I want you to see Mary. Mary in verse number 32. John 11 verse 32 I want you to see the difference. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews came with her weeping, he groaned and he was troubled and he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. Verse 37, and some of them said,
could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind and also kept this man from dying? You see the difference? Get this. Martha, in verse number 20, John eleven twenty, Martha confessed something that was full of depth, but she had no emotion. But Mary, in verse number 32, she comes with great emotion. She falls at His feet. She's crying. My brother's dead. Jesus is crying. In other words, Mary had great emotion, but little depth in her confession. Do you see the difference between Mary and Martha? Martha had depth in her confession with little emotion, while Mary had great emotion and little depth. The point of the matter is this. There are two types of people in the church. There are those who have great depth in their learning, in their confession, in their creeds, and in their belief, and sometimes they show little emotion. Then there are those who have great emotion, but they know little. And God is saying in this story that He understands both, He can relate to both, and He can work through both. Praise the Lord. He can work through both. You may not know Greek and Hebrew. You may not be able to exegesis the Scriptures. Ex, pull out. This ex is the word for out. Pull out of the Scripture. You may not be able to pull anything out. Maybe you can read the Bible and say, Pastor, I've read this Bible. I don't understand anything it says. But you know how to worship, so you come up front and tears going down your cheek and you're worshiping and you love God but you don't understand everything you don't have great knowledge of the scriptures you, you want to learn and I want to let you know don't let anybody condemn you don't let anybody push you down because God could still use you can I hear an amen then there are those who have great substance but little emotion and God can use you too amen I said, Amen. I'm so glad that we got some Marthas in the house and we got some Marys in the house. Come on, somebody. How many would agree with me? We need both in the house. We need some Marthas and we need some Marys in the house. 